0: Humans are funny creatures. I can say that because I are one. Have you noticed how strange we are? For instance, we go through wild swings of emotion and opinion flitting from thing to thing. All you have to do is open up the typical Twitter account and and start scrolling through their feed. And you start noticing that people get all passionate about one subject... And about 2.4 seconds later, they're passionate about another subject. And I mean, like, okay, right now, a few months ago, we were talking all about the hurricanes. You know, it was devastating. We as a church family took up funds to to send to a church plant down in the Houston area that was hit really, really hard. I mean, Florida was hit. Puerto Rico was just devastated. And yet, how many of us are reading articles and having conversations about the recovery efforts? I, I know I'm not. And yet it takes years to recover from a flood. I mean, we live in Waverly, Iowa. We lost 90 homes in the flood. We know that you don't just, you know, recover in a couple of weeks. Like, it takes years to recover. And yet we're not talking about it. What are we talking about right now? talking about the sexual harassment scandals that are rocking Hollywood and politics and TV talk shows. That's what we're talking about right now. And you know what this means? That just within a few months from now, we'll be talking about something else. And a lot of the names that are dominating the news cycle right now, we won't even remember. We will have already flit on to something else because we just go through these wild swings of emotion and opinion. But another place that I see this sort of swing is in our view of ourself. I I know guys who will be lifting weights, looking in the mirror, thinking to themselves, I am God's gift to women. And then that night they're crying into their beer because they can't get a date. Or, or ladies who will post a selfie, everybody is beautiful. And then later she's crying into her bathroom mirror because of her own body issues. We just go on these swings about who we are. When life is going well, like our relationships are strong, we feel great about who we are. But when things aren't going very well at work, we just think we're the worst. And then when suddenly, you know, you win something or, or God really provides something, man, you must think, I'm, I'm wonderful. And then you look at your bank account. And when you see there's nothing there, you think, I just am a horrible provider. And when the swing just goes on and on and on. Now, I, I recognize that some of us, our swings are kind of tethered. They, they linger a little longer in certain areas. Like some of us, we struggle with pride. We, we, we just think a little bit too highly of ourselves, And that's kind of where our swing lingers. Every once in a while, it'll come back. Others of us, though, our, our swing, it, it's stuck on the other end of the spectrum where we just beat ourselves up mentally all the time. And we're just telling ourselves things like, man, you're such a loser. No one likes you. Why do you do those sort of things? And sure, we'll have moments where it swings over, but for the most part, our, our swing kind of gets stuck for a bit. Even if... Your swing was anchored at one end or the other. Your view of yourself has been tainted by sin. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, our view of self has been wrecked. Their view of God was destroyed in that moment. But it wasn't just their view of God. Their understanding of who they were was also destroyed in the same moment. All you have to do is go to Genesis chapter 3. Look at the effects. What's the first thing that they try to do after they eat of the forbidden fruit? They try to cover themselves up. They're trying to hide. I mean, they were living free and and clear. Everything was wonderful and awesome. As soon as they disobeyed God, they suddenly start trying to hide. They're trying to hide body parts. They try and hide from God. They're ashamed. So not only was their view of God affected, but their view of self was affected. And ever since that moment our view of self has been affected as well. But the incarnation of Jesus speaks to that. The incarnation can actually act like a mirror that will help us. That it'll help those of us who are too far on one side thinking we're the world's greatest. And it also helps those of us who are stuck on the other side thinking we're the world's worst. Because what we're going to see today is that the incarnation has the power and ability to simultaneously humble you and yet also embolden you. And as you start to see this, it's going to be because you're going to discover today that the incarnation reveals that you are far more sinful than you realize, and yet you are far more loved than you could ever imagine. So let's pray as we get into it. Heavenly Father, pray that today you would be our teacher. This would be about what you have to say to us, uh, what, what your scriptures have been declaring throughout generation after generation. And now they're declaring to us today. And so help our ears and our hearts to be open to you. Pray for those of us in this room that are struggling emotionally, whether it be because we're thinking a little too high of ourselves or we're thinking a little too low of ourselves, that today you would help us to see who you see us to be. And that would deeply humble us and encourage us that we would walk out of here feeling bold because of who you are and what you have done and can do in our lives. And I pray for anyone here that does not know you. Their faith has not been placed upon you yet, I pray, Father, that you would uh, uh, draw them to you, that they would see how much you love them, and that is evident through Jesus coming into the form of a human, even as a baby. So, Father, teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are going to be in John chapter 1 for most of our time. Uh, So if you want, open up your Bible to John chapter 1. If you are a first-time guest with us uh, at Riverwood, we— welcome paper bibles and digital bibles so totally feel free to use whatever you have uh so Pull out your phone. No one's going to accuse you of looking at Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. I figure if I can't keep your attention, that's on me, not on you. All right? If you don't have a Bible, feel free to stop by our Give and Grow table, pick one up, or just go and download one to your phone. That way you have a Bible with you all the time. Uh, Our key passage for this entire Incarnational uh, Christmas series is John 1, 1 through 18. And uh, in John 1, uh, we, we see this beautiful poetry of the Incarnation. Now, we heard it last week twice. I We used it as our scripture reading, and then I read it again during my message, and you've already heard it again today. So if you were with us last week and today, you've now heard it three times. Well, guess what? You're going to hear it at least two more times over the next couple of weeks as we continue to look at this. But because we've already heard it three times over the last two weeks, I'm not going to read it again, but I am going to focus on verses 4, 12, and 13, and 16 because those those different verses are going to help us see today that we are more sinful than we realize, and yet we are more loved than we could ever imagine. All right, so let's start with verse 4. It's going to help us see that we are far more sinful than we could ever imagine. The incarnation shows us that we are far more sinful than we realize. Um, to, to put chap, um, verse 4 in context, let me go back to verse 1. Let's start in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. With God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, last week, we spent some time in verses one and two looking at what or who is the Word. And what we saw was that the Word was Jesus, that as the Son of God, He was God. And so when it describes that the word was with God and the word was God, okay, you see, Jesus is the Son of God, so therefore he is God. But it can also say that he was with God because as God the Son, he was with God the Father, and he's with God the Spirit. And so we saw very, very clearly that this word is Jesus. But we also saw that when John started off his book in the beginning, he would have caused his Jewish readers to go back in their mind to the book of Genesis. Because the book of Genesis, the beginning of the Old Testament, the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures, starts up the exact same way. In the beginning. And so he's bringing in this theme of creation. And and he says, in the beginning God created. Well, who was it that helped create it? Jesus. Because just look at verse 3. He says there in verse 3, that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so when God said, let there be light... It was happening through Jesus, which is why I think John is calling Jesus the word, because Jesus was, in a sense, the word that God spoke that suddenly created everything. But John is taking this further than just like, hey, Jesus is so amazing. He was there at the creation of everything. He created all things. He's getting to the point of saying that Jesus also created humans. But when God created humanity, he made humans different. He did one primary thing that we see in kind of two parts. So if you want to flip over to Genesis chapter 1, we're coming back to John 1 in a little bit, but if you want to flip over to Genesis 1, first book, first chapter of the Bible, and let's look at what it is that God does differently with humans than he does with the rest of creation. And what we're going to first see is that humans have the image of God. Difference number one is that humans have the image of God. I I love this passage. It's like the Trinity has has been making all these things, and then all of a sudden they huddle up together like, got a great idea. Let's make something new, different. Like, it won't be like the light. It won't be like the land. It won't even be like the animals. Let's create humans. And and, and, I got a great idea. Here's how we're going to make it different. These humans, we're going to put our image in them, our likeness. This is why humanity is just a little bit different than the rest of creation. Humans have a will, an intellect, personality that's just different than animals. I mean, I know some dogs, that they've got personality, and cats they have lots of personality. You know, they have personality, but it's different. I don't know of any dogs going and taking the Myers-Briggs. They're just not trying to figure these things out. Humans, we, we think on an emotional level. We think about relationships, about community, very different than animals. Yeah, animals have herds and flocks and relationship, but we approach it in a different way. That difference is the image of God. That's one thing that separates us from the rest of creation. But how does that image get there? The image of God gets there through the second part of this difference, and that is the breath of God. Look over in chapter 2. Flip over to chapter 2. Chapter 1 is kind of a poetical telling of the creation of the world. Chapter 2 is more of a narrative telling. So same exact story, just coming at it a different way. And Moses writes this about the creation of humans in chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, When it says there that God created Adam, it uses the word formed. I learned this week that the Hebrew word there has a tie-in with art. It's like God is an artist, and he's fashioning. Because if you notice throughout the other scriptures, he would speak, let there be this, and there was. Let let there be this, and there it was. But when it comes to man, not only is he going to put his image in him, he takes the time to take dust. He starts molding and forming him. There is care, there's intention, there's thought. This is a masterpiece. But God doesn't just form him to put in some cosmic art museum. He takes it a step further and it says that he breathed into him. Now, if you're paying attention, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, but Aaron, air does not make humans different. I mean, animals breathe air. This is not the difference. And I'd say you're right. I want you to think about this. God is spirit. God does not breathe air. And so something else is going on here. There's more than just the filling of lungs. Job 32:8 helps us figure this out. Job 32:8 says, "But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. You see, in Old Testament Jewish thought, breath was tied to spirit. And so the fact that we had breath was an indication that like, the spirit of the Almighty was in us. That's what's happening. God is breathing in his image. He's breathing in spiritual life. Real life is more than just physical life. It includes the spiritual. And that's what allowed Adam and Eve to have this connection, this relationship with the triune God. So what separates humans from the rest of creation is this image of God that was breathed into them. But if you keep reading the story, you see that that image gets destroyed. That breath empties out. That that spirit, in a sense, gets killed. Because as you continue on to chapter 3, Adam and Eve break the only commandment that God had for them. And in that moment, they died. Now, when God was giving Adam uh, a tour of, of Eden, and he's showing him, hey, you can eat all of this stuff, oh, except the one, this one tree. That one is off limits. And yet, they ate of it. And God had warned Adam, if you eat of this tree, you'll die. And, and I wonder that as, as Satan put in the doubts in, in Eve's mind, She takes it when she bites into it and she didn't die. Maybe God was wrong after all. And Adam eats of it too. And what they didn't realize was that the true life in them wasn't just air in the lungs. It was the spirit of God within them. And in that moment, they died. And ever since that moment, every human ever born has been born with air able to go into the lungs there's no spiritual breath within them. We are born spiritually dead. That is why John, back in chapter 1, verse 4, describes Jesus this way, that in him was life. Jesus is the giver of life. When it says that nothing was made except through Jesus— That means that when that breath of God went into Adam, it was Jesus breathing it into him. It's the image of the Son of God going into man. And so when humans killed that image, the only one who could come and repair it was Jesus. And that's why he had to come. And that's why the incarnation shows us that we are more sinful than we realize. I mean, think about it. If the penalty of sin was just a timeout, all we'd have to do is wait, you know, the few minutes, months, years, millennium that God wanted us to wait. We'd wait and, and then time up's done, come out, all's good. Jesus doesn't have to come. Or, or maybe, you know, the, the penalty of sin is pay it off. And so you got to do certain religious works. you got to attend church so many times. you got to say certain prayers. you got to do certain things. And once you do enough of that stuff, hey, it's all good. Your record's clean. You're fine. And so therefore Jesus doesn't have to come. But the fact that Jesus did come means we couldn't just do a timeout. It means we can't ever earn our way. We cannot resurrect the spiritual dead within us. Only Jesus can breathe that image back into us to repair it, to mold it, and make it what he always intended it to be. So the incarnation shows us we are far more sinful than we realize. But that's not the end of the story. Well, while it's telling us we're more sinful than we realize, it also simultaneously shows us that we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. The incarnation shows us that we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. There in John 1, look down at verses 12 and 13. John wrote this, But to all who did receive him, to those who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Adam was created by God with the image of God in him. And so therefore you could call Adam a son of God because he bears the image of his father, of his creator. And so likewise, for us to become children of God, we have to bear that image. But how does that image begin to be restored in us? By believing in Jesus, it's receiving him. He came for us, so we receive him. And and notice, it cannot be by some of these other things. He clarifies. It's in verse 13. This happens because we're born of God, not of blood, which means that if your mom and dad were Jesus followers, it does not automatically make you a Jesus follower. I've met people who, hey, yeah, my parents were Lutheran, so therefore I'm Lutheran you know, and so I, I'm good. You know, I was confirmed. I, I went through the stuff. Yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm great. I, I'm golden. I can go to heaven. And John's saying, um, guys, no, it, it's not because of blood. You're not, you, you just don't come through this by, by your birth family, your earthly family. You have to be born of God. And, and notice he says next, it can't happen by the will of the flesh. In other words, it doesn't matter how badly you want it. And think, oh, I just am passionate about it. I will work and do everything I can to achieve the, the rank of child of God. It doesn't matter. No matter how much you do, you can't get it yourself. And, and just to make sure we're really clear on this, he says it doesn't even happen by the will of man. Which means, moms and dads, no matter how much you long for your children to know the gospel, to know Jesus, you can't make it happen. I like how Matt Chandler, the pastor of the village, puts it. He says, while you can't light the fire within your kids, you can put as much wood and kindling and paper around them as possible. Like, you talk about Jesus, you you worship Jesus, you do all these things, but realize you cannot cause the spark to happen. Only God can light that fire. How do we become a child of God? By receiving Jesus. How does that happen? By being born of God. But the fact that some people do understand the story that they have been born of God reveals that God loves us. If he was just a judgmental God who's going to smash sin and and that, Jesus isn't coming. God's could just sit on his throne, smite us, eliminate the world and, and start over. But he doesn't. He comes for us, born into the form of a baby. You are more loved than you realize. Jesus left all that behind to come for you. And so the incarnation, it shows us we are far more sinful than we realize, but we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. So here's what I think our emotional response should be. First, from the truth that we're far more sinful than we realize, it, it means it should humble us. It means that we can't do this on our own. We cannot like repair the relationship with God just through church attendance or going to growth group or reading your Bible a bunch or saying a bunch of prayers. It cannot be done in our own effort. It can only happen by Christ. It's his work. And so we seek after him. We receive him. We believe in him. And that should humble us. But the reason I think a lot of us don't really realize just how grave our sin is is because we've lived with it for so long. It, it's kind of like our homes. If your home is anything like mine, like over the course of the week, the mail kind of just piles up. The, the shoes just get left by the door. The boys leave their dirty socks downstairs when they took them off to play football in the basement. I mean, like just stuff just gets left all over. But when you live in it and you just keep walking by it, eventually it just kind of blends into the background. Example, my boys and I were playing ball tag in the basement. I ended up kicking a chair which went into the wall which stuck a hole in it. Yeah, so I got out the spackling stuff. I put it in there, filled the hole, and I have yet to paint it. I've just gotten used to seeing it. I don't even notice it anymore anymore. I felt conviction as I was running through this message. Like, I really need to do this. Okay, wives, do not elbow your husbands right now. Okay, you see it so long, you stop seeing it. It just blends in with the landscape. Until the doorbell rings. And then suddenly you're yelling at your children to not open the door and let anyone in because you're going to run around the house in 30 seconds and do everything that you would do normally on a Saturday morning because you don't want them to see the mess. That's what our sin is like. We live with it for so long. We live in the mess. We just get used to it. And it really doesn't seem that bad until Jesus rings the doorbell. And then suddenly we're running around trying to clean up our act, get things right. Oh, I got to go to church. I don't want think, you know, people to think these certain things of me. I got to hide this. I, you know, The problem is our sin is not just like dirty laundry on the floor that we're embarrassed for someone to see. Our sin is like a tornado that came through and wrecked the house of our spirit. And we're standing there foolishly thinking, yeah, I I could take care of this myself. You can't. You can't. Only God can clean up that mess. That's why you have to let Jesus in and let him bring the repair of your spirit. Let him breathe his Holy Spirit back into you. When you realize you can't do this yourself It humbles us. But not only does the incarnation humble us, I think it also should deeply embolden us. That because Jesus loves us so much, he was willing to come for us, it should therefore embolden us. The incarnation should embolden us. A year ago, I I read an article about uh, uh, Carmelo Anthony. I'm not a big NBA basketball guy, but I do know who Carmelo Anthony is. He's the star for the New York Knicks. And apparently last year he was going through a horrendous slump. I mean, he just was stinking it up. And he, uh, in the game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, he shot 15 times and only made four of them. I mean, he's just doing awful And yet, one of their other players was having an amazing game. And that's what allowed them, as the end of regulation was approaching, to be tied. And the New York Knicks call a timeout. They're going to get the ball. And the coach draws up a play. And Jeff Hornacek draws up the play. And guess who he wants to have the ball? Carmelo Anthony. Now, you would normally think, no, 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 this guy's got the hot hand. He's having a great game. we got to give him the ball. But Jeff said, no, I want Carmelo. Because the last four or five times that we've been in this position, we've put the ball in Carmelo's hands, and he's made the shot. I want him to do it again. Well, sure enough, he got the ball, and he made the shot. And the next won the game. So Carmelo was asked afterwards, you were having a horrible game. How did you feel? Were you, were you nervous? Carmelo says, you know what? I was feeling pretty bad about how I was playing. I felt awful. And yet, when the coach said he wanted me to have the ball, and I could tell my teammates wanted me to have the ball, the fact that they believed in me gave me the courage to know, I can do this. I think that's what the incarnation should do for us. Not because God looks at us and goes, I believe in you, but because God looks at us and goes, I believe in what I can do through you. And it should embolden us to the point where we realize that if God is for us, who could be against us? And now we're so encouraged. We feel like we could go and take over the world. That's what the incarnation should do for us. Which means, if you find yourself on the side of the spectrum where you think a little too highly of yourself, you struggle with pride, you talk about yourself incessantly, it's all about you, then you need to go to the incarnation to realize, no, it's all about Jesus. That your sin is far greater than you realize. And Jesus had to come for you to repair it because you couldn't do it on your own. And it brings you to a place of falling on your knees and thanking God. God. But there's some of you here today who are on the other side of that spectrum. And you are regularly beating yourself up. Sometimes you're even thinking, is my life even worth it? And you need to know that you're worth so much that gold couldn't purchase you. All the diamonds in the world couldn't purchase you. You couldn't take anything to get you. The only thing that could purchase you because you're so valuable is the blood of Jesus. Jesus was willing to leave it all behind to come for you So stop beating yourself up. Stop telling yourself you're not worth it because you are. You're worth it all. Let the incarnation be a mirror. Let it show you that you need humbled, but you also need lifted up. That you are not as great as you think you are, and yet you're far greater than you realize you are. This is what the incarnation shows us and let it humble you, and let it embolden you, and let God do a deep work in you, because he wants to do a great work through you. So Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would do this in us. As you say in verse 16 of John 1, that through Jesus's fullness, you have poured out upon us grace upon grace. God, grace is a gift we don't deserve. We do not deserve spiritual life. We broke your commandment. We have sinned, and that image of you within us has been distorted and destroyed, and yet it remained. So we welcome you to come in and repair the tornado, to to bring order to the chaos, to restore your image within us, so that we can go and love like Jesus loved, and live like Jesus lived, and, and accomplish what you've set forth for us to accomplish. God, we want to enjoy life, and to enjoy life, we have to enjoy you, We don't want to just enjoy this physical life because there's so much more than just what is around us and what we see. You are real, you exist, and we need you. So breathe into us again the breath of God. Restore within us a renewed spirit. Let us come after you in worship and praise. Heavenly Father, we love you. We need you. So God, would you humble us? Would you embolden us? Would you help us to get a proper view of who we are? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. With that, we're going to come to the communion tables. And as you come, I want you to hear Mary's song. Mary does exactly what we just talked about. There's this point where Mary has an angel visit her. And the angel says, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. And kind of as confirmation to Mary, the angel says, hey, even your cousin Elizabeth, in her old age, you know, the the one who couldn't have any kids, she's pregnant. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. She's got to see, is it true? Is it real? Is my cousin actually pregnant? And am I actually going to bring about the Messiah? And so as Mary approaches the house, she calls out, Elizabeth, Elizabeth! And Elizabeth, upon hearing Mary's voice, immediately is filled with the Holy Spirit and she knows what's going on. And she says to Mary, "Whom am I to be so blessed that the mother of my Savior would come to me? Mary had not told Elizabeth, do you know what happened to me? And yet through Elizabeth's prophetic proclamation, it was confirmed to Mary. And in that moment, Mary is overwhelmed and she sings this song. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Do you hear it? Here she is, the one God has chosen to bring the incarnation about. And she's humble. She's not taking selfies to post to Instagram and go, look who just got named to bring the Savior into the world. There's no bragging here. The incarnation humbles her. And yet you see the boldness of this teenage girl. She's about to be pregnant outside of wedlock. She's going to have everyone looking down upon her, thinking that she and Joseph did the naughty. And yet she looks to God. And says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, who has done mighty things for me. Holy is his name. She knows she can go through with it. She's bold. That's how I invite you to the communion table today. That as you come to these elements, you approach them with humility. Because these elements mean you couldn't do it yourself. Jesus had to come to die on the cross for you. You're more sinful than you realize And so that bread, that's his body, which was broken for you. The juice in that cup, that represents his blood, which was shed for you. So as you come, come humbly. But at the same time, come boldly. Because Jesus did this for you. You are welcome at his table. You are invited to his throne. You can worship your creator. If you're a first-time guest with us, I want you to know that these tables are open to you as long as you are a follower of Jesus. If you proclaim Jesus as your savior, he's the center of your life, would you come? Would you worship? Come humbly, come emboldened. Come because of what Christ has done for you. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know I am thrilled you're here. I'm so glad you're here. We started Riverwood for you. We want to help you discover this gospel story, which is true, that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, to give you the life he always intended for you to live. But if you're not quite sure about that story, if you're not quite ready to receive his name, to believe in Jesus, then don't come to this table. Because when we take that bread and we take that juice, we are proclaiming the death of Jesus on our behalf. So if you've got questions, if you're not sure, it's okay, don't come. No one here is gonna judge you. There are people in this room who are exactly where you are. So they know, they get it. And they're gonna be praying that today would be the day that your eyes are open, that this story is true, that Jesus really did die for your sin. And we invite you to believe in him, to receive him, to be born of God. And when that moment happens, when you declare your faith in him, God begins the breathing process, restoring his image within you. So instead of coming to the elements, would you just pray and invite God into your life? Let us go now and do this in remembrance of him.